I'm Jason if we haven't met, and uh, I missed you guys last week, but I got to listen to the podcast. Do you guys know we have a podcast? A few of you do. Um, I got to listen, and I was just like so moved, which made me even more frustrated that I wasn't here with you guys last week. Uh, a little more about that later. Um, so I'm Jason, and I'm part of Southland City Church, and we are moving together into our future, which is um, not entirely known, uh, but there's some things that we're really clear on. We're clear that we're going to be eventually landing in the Studebaker factory, which we're really excited about. And um, I can tell you that Kevin Smith, the owner-developer there, is like, he seems to really like us. And so he has diverted all of his work crews to our space to get us in there because, yeah, that's pretty great, right? Yeah. No commitments on timeline. We're still saying by the fall, but hopefully much, much, much sooner than the fall. Um, yeah, we're really pumped about that. If, if you've heard this story of the Studebaker and how it relates to our community, you already know this, but we just feel deeply that the Studebaker is not just a useful room, but that it, it, it's really quite central to the kind of church that we think we're supposed to be. Um, everything from the fact that we have a flat floor so we can sit in the round just like this, to the fact that we're reusing and re-energizing some of our city's beloved history rather than just throwing that history away and building something new, uh, we get to inhabit a place where South Bend lived its life economically, culturally for so long, and then a place that South Bend experienced a kind of death in the 60s when that factory ended. We get to plant our church life right there. Uh, we get to be in a neighborhood where some of our neighbors will be some of the people who struggle the most in our city, economically or otherwise. People who've really been left behind by the kind of good things that a lot of us have benefited from in life. We also get to be in a neighborhood where there's lots of new development, new business. The South Bend Cubs are going to like quadruple the stadium, it sounds like, or something. There's new apartments moving into the neighborhood. So in all of that eclectic, crazy intersection, we're going to be at the center of things, and we're really excited about it. Um, you know, too, that uh, if you've been around for a minute, you know that we need to raise some money to fill the Studebaker, because without money, it'll be a concrete floor and kids' rooms with nothing in them except kids. So, uh, so we'd, like, we'd like to furnish the Studebaker. So, um, so we've already talked about that a little bit. I don't want to hammer that too hard. But I, I do want to say this. So we're trying to raise somewhere between 100 and 125000 between now and the end of April. And that'll do a really great job of, of filling that space with the things that we need there. Um, we, uh, we've been really blessed by some early giving, both from individuals and from another church that have gotten us a good start. Um, but one thing I've learned in church is that for a lot of people... Whether it's like, do you have something to offer with your talent? Can you help kids? Can you speak life into a teenager? Can you, can you bring what you have to offer and does it help at all? One thing I've discovered is I think a lot of people sit on the sidelines, not because they want to, but because they think that what they have doesn't make a difference. And I would just say that's like so not true. Um, because if it were just about dollars and cents, then yeah, but we're a church. We don't think it's just about dollars and cents. We think it's about heart. And, um, and sacrifice in the ways that we do this together. So I just want to say, whether it's the money thing or something else, if you find yourself sitting on the sidelines of our church because you're not sure you have something to offer, just hear it from me. That, that's a lie. And um, a church is a place where those of us who have maybe little to offer discover that God makes it much. And those of us who have much to offer in some area discover that God uses it to help other people. And so, um, so that's the invitation, whether it's helping out with kids or being a greeter or doing a setup thing or giving to help furnish the Studebaker. Um, I'm just absolutely convinced that you, made in the image of God, with a life that matters to God and a story that's going somewhere important, have something to offer as we work together. So, so there is that. Um, we're talking about what it means to be a community of uh, grace and peace for our city and the world. We, we don't actually have a mission statement as a church. I don't know if you've noticed that. We have an identity statement. Um, and there's some overlap there, but for, for us, we just, we believe this is what we're supposed to become together, a community of grace and peace for our city and the world. So we started by talking about community, and then Ryan preached that like barn burner of a sermon last week on grace. And now we're going to move a little further into talking about peace. But first I want to back up and pick up the, the threads that Ryan began to weave as we talked about being a community of grace. Um, remember, he said uh, the word for us, grace, as we unpack that, let's think of that as surprising what? Goodness, yeah, some of you. I know it's like a week ago or it feels like six weeks ago, depending on how busy you were or what you're up to. Surprising goodness toward you. Like that's God's heart toward you, that 
It's truer of the world than anything else. You might run into surprising harshness in the world. You might run into surprising limits in the world. You might run into surprising selfishness in the world. You might run into lots of other surprises. But in God, there is surprising goodness for you and for me and for everyone in the world. And um, I want to I want to dwell on that word good for a second as we move into peace. Um, the scriptures start with this peculiar description of how the world became what it is. And um, what's interesting about it is that God starts putting things in motion, separating light from darkness and filling water with fish and the sky with teeming life of birds, right? And again and again and again, God says, it is, anybody know? Good. Yeah, good. There's that word again. It is good. And there's a sort of growing sort of crescendo in the passage, if you can read it for the poetry of it, that again and again, God starts just simply separating light from dark, and then he starts filling those, those empty spaces with really good things, and again and again, God says, it is good, and eventually he gets to making humanity, man and woman, and he says, made in my image, and then the whole thing is very good, and then we see God taking a man and woman and putting them in a garden, a place of flourishing, a place where, like, you have everything you need. I always like to think of Whole Foods without the prices, right? <laughs> just, like, beautiful abundance everywhere, everything your body needs, everything your soul needs, everything that you were designed to exist within so that you could flourish. That's the original story there. Now, sometimes when we tell the God story, when Christians preach or stand up or talk about Jesus, it's like we just harp on the, the one-dimensional idea of, like, you and God, right? Like, you and God. And so the whole story is about the breakdown between you and God, and the whole story is about God putting things back together between you and God. But at the beginning of the story, we don't just have things between a human being and God. We have this huge web of interconnected relationships where everything is helping everything else, and God keeps saying it is good. Now, the word good there is the Hebrew tov. Uh, Anybody ever heard somebody say mazel tov? Yeah, that's the same, tov, tov, that's the same word there. And the word can mean beautiful, The word can mean pleasing, but especially in this context, the word means functioning well. As if like God is putting together a universe and he keeps introducing new components and he steps back and he sees how the new thing interacts with all the other things. And like a finely tuned machine or a beautiful ecosystem, as God keeps introducing things, he keeps saying, this is good. There's there's a, a working together going on here. And he keeps adding more complexity to it. And as things get more and more complex, they actually get better and better. And so by the time you get to human beings, bearers of God's image, he says the whole thing now, not just humans, the whole thing is very good. Like everything is working together. There's a harmony here. It's like everything is marching to the same beat. It's like they're playing the same song. You can feel like this energy if you read it slowly and thoughtfully and and with a little bit of meditation. Like God is creating a world where everything is in harmony with everything else. Have you ever done like a, a long walk in, in a woods where there's a lot of life? Like, I don't know about you, I live in a kind of a city neighborhood, so I have to go a little ways to find a place where I get in touch with a natural ecosystem. But when's the last time you walked through a, a kind of pure, uninterrupted, unbroken natural ecosystem and you just discovered there's a lot going on there, right? You ever gone camping in the woods and been astonished to discover how loud it is at night with all the all the bugs and animals and life, there's this chorus of different living things all interacting with each other in these ecosystems that God makes. And when things are the way they're supposed to be, there's a balance and a harmony to everything. There's a, a shared energy that goes back and forth between everything, right? I'm not much of an outdoorsman, which may not be a surprise to many of you if you know me at all. I like being in the outdoors, but I'm not like, I don't think first of going hiking on a day off. I think first of finding good coffee, you know? And so, um, so for me, there are other metaphors that help me too. Like playing music really helps me as a metaphor because music has been a huge part of my life. So Jeffrey, our beloved drummer slash photographer slash videographer slash just like, like anything we ask him to do, he's amazing. Um, Jeff and I grew up uh, starting in college really um, and we started playing music together pretty quickly. And so Jeff and I have years together and I'd be playing piano and he'd be playing drums. And I distinctly remember there was a moment after years of playing music together, we were both at this church that we came from called Granger. And I just realized as we were playing music together that there's this thing that we had gotten to where Jeff 
could decide he was going to play a certain fill, which is like, you know, if the drummer's just going like, mm-cha, 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 that's just like four, right? But then if he's like, mm, blah, 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 right? That would be a fill, right? Okay. <laughs> that was me being a music ed major for one semester, right? So, so like, you're just kind of grooving, and then a fill's going to happen, which is this unexpected thing. It's a different thing, right? And we got to a point where I realized, just from all of that time together, being on the same page together, I would get like this instantaneous, like, like a fraction of a second before we started the fill. It was like I just had this intuition of what fill he was going to play. And we hadn't practiced it, and we didn't like, decide ahead of time he's going to hit on, on these beats or off beats. But then I could kind of play along, right, and hit the piano at the same time that he hit those drums. And there's just a chemistry and an energy to that, and all sorts of beauty breaks into the world that wasn't there a second ago when different parts of the equation are all on the same page, working together at the same time to the same beat in the same harmony, right? This is kind of the, the, the spirit, the sense of God putting together a more and more complex world, but saying more and more, it's good. It's all working together. It's functional. Now, there's a word, um, there's a Bible word, there's a Hebrew word for when there's this, this harmony between everything and everything is flourishing in its relationship with everything else. Everything's connected and those connections help everything be what they are supposed to be. In the Hebrew, the word is shalom. Let's try saying that on three. One, two, three. Shalom. Shalom. Yeah, this is the Hebrew word for harmony, for everything working together the way it's supposed to be. This is this web of relationship people and God and the created world between one another and even, even the, 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 the harmony that you feel with yourself when you are at peace with yourself and reconciled, right? And the word shalom, translated into English, most often gets rendered peace. And tonight we want to talk about being a community of peace. Now it's important to start the way we started because first of all, peace isn't this like wimpy word for like not fighting, Okay? It's a strong word. It is a rooted word. It's a robust word. It's got a lot packed into it. And it's important that we start where we start because it's not just about every individual in the room having peace with God, although that's certainly one of the central themes of this word. But it's also about what exists between us, right? Whether it's friends, family, communities, nations, right? It's about what exists within us. Because if you've lived even a few years as a human being, you know it's possible to run from yourself, to be divided within yourself, to live in some kind of lie or shame or something you haven't made peace with or dealt with, some part of your past or even something in your present that you're divided from within yourself. And even a thing that is becoming increasingly important as there's more and more people in the world and we have more and more things that we can do to the world, that there's a harmony with the created world around us. Like that, that wonderful thing you feel when you are someplace where the, maybe you're a water person and so you go to the waterfront and you just sense this connection between you and, and something bigger than yourself and it's the water that helps you feel that, right? Or you go to the woods and as you hear the, all the life around you, something sort of gets refreshed within you and you know that you're even made for a harmony with the created world. Well, we believe that God has always been about shalom, about peace. It's the very first words of the story, and we're going to see later it shows up throughout the story, and Jesus is, like, obsessed with it. The, the scriptures just can't stop talking about it, whether it's uh, the, the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament or the New Testament as the work of Jesus is being unpacked in the world. It's shalom, 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 peace, 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 harmony all over the place. So today, uh, to get things started... Um, we wanted to just reflect for a moment on those four different spaces of uh, shalom or peace, those four different um, realms of peace, if you will. If you look in your uh, program there, there's a page that it just has those written, peace with God, um, peace with one another, peace, peace with oneself, and peace with creation. And we want to just uh, create some space right now to reflect on those four things. So I'm going to ask, I'm not sure who's going to make some music for us, but somebody's going to make some noise, I think. And just to kind of like make it easier to um, reflect for a moment. And I just want to, we're going to take about five minutes here. And the question really is simply this. In any of those areas or in all those areas, where do you long for peace right now? Where, where do you long for, where do you ache for? Where does it feel like there's something less than harmony happening? When you see peace with God, um, it may be that in your own personal life, you just long for that, but you don't, you don't experience much of that. 
Um, it may be that, that you, you see others that you love who don't experience that peace with God, and you want that for them. Um, when you see uh, the word God, by the way, if that's not a word that works for you, we are just obsessed with being a community that creates space for you. So you, you can like skip that one if that word doesn't work, or there might be another way to meditate on that for you. Um, when we read peace with one another, where, where do you just simply long for that harmony? Where is there some disharmony, some disunity? Is it on a personal front? A friend, a family member, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, a coworker, um, somebody in our church community here, somebody else in this community, is it, um, is it that the, the way our country is divided right now is really wearing on you? And you just, you can't handle one more Facebook post that divides and conquers. You just can't handle one more day of right versus left. Um, maybe that's been wearing on you and you want to name that. Maybe it's the racial division you see in our country. And maybe um, as you just see again and again that different colors of skin experience this country in different ways and that divides us and, and that's been weighing on you. Um, economic division. What, I don't know at what level you feel or experience that. Um, peace with oneself. Do you not feel very at home with yourself? Not at home in your own skin, in your own story? Is there something just deeply unresolved about where you've come from or what you're walking through right now? Is there a shame? Is there something that you need to just confront? Is there some talent you have you don't know what to do with? Did you grow up being told it's not good to be you? And you, you need to know that it is? Um, where do you feel that for yourself? And then creation. The, the larger world that we live in. We, we live in a in a frame of sorts, right? We live in a world, we live in a universe, we live in a city, we, we, we live in a place, in a context, and we're meant to be in harmony with all of that. Is there some particular way that you feel out of harmony with the creation and that you long for it to be different? Let's take about five minutes, and if you wanna write, you can, or if you just wanna pray or think through those, whatever's helpful to you in the next few minutes, but let's take some time to reflect.
So I've been reflecting a little bit on those four realms of peace. And it, it can be really uncomfortable. And for me, it has been a little bit, because one thing I'm confronted with is ways that I've actually worked against all that harmony in, in some of those spheres. Um, there's a theologian named Cornelius Plantinga, which is the best name ever if you're going to be a theologian, right? Cornelius Plantinga, he says that when we disturb the shalom, when we introduce disharmony where there's supposed to be harmony, when we kind of break the music, he says when you do that in a culpable sort of way, in a blameworthy sort of way, which if we're being honest, all of us do sometimes. He says the word for that is sin. He said that's actually the definition of sin as he reads the scriptures, that you break the shalom between us and God or one another and even, even with oneself um, or even with the created world that we were called to steward and live in harmony with. So, so that's hard, right? Like that's not really fun to confront. And then, there, then, and then there's all the ways that peace was broken by somebody else or something else, and, and you have been broken by that breaking, but you're not the one who, who did it. And we carry these wounds of a broken shalom with us sometimes in the world. So we, we have the ways that we have broken peace, and we have all the ways that peace has been broken against us. Um, but it's with all that in mind that the early followers of Jesus, as they came to understand what happened when Jesus went to the cross, they first seemed to understand that something cosmic and eternal and like nothing else was happening in this Jesus as he went to the cross. Their eyes, it's like they slowly, their eyes were slowly open. Something cosmic and eternal was happening. And as, as they meditated on Jesus' body on a cross, they began to understand that it's like all of the power that has been breaking the shalom came at Jesus. All of the breaking all, all of the darkness and power and evil energy that exists to break the shalom, even those impulses that even you and I have inside of us to break the shalom, all of that came against Jesus on the cross. And you might think that it would have the final word, that the final word is that the shalom is broken, that entropy is the law of the universe, that things will just break down. But in fact, that's not the end of the story, right? Because Jesus doesn't stay in the grave. And as they reflected on him coming out of the grave, it's like their eyes were opened that everything that they did even to break the shalom and all the ways that harmony and peace are broken in the world, they don't have the final word. They are not the most powerful thing. That there is another power, a greater power, a truer strength, a surprising goodness that breaks into the world and that overcomes all of the things that have broken the shalom. So I, I'd like us to just keep in mind those yearnings for harmony. Uh, another word for that would be reconciliation, right? And hear this from Colossians chapter 1. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell on this Christ, and through him, listen now, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on heaven or things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. In another letter that Paul writes, um, He's talking again about that very work, and he says Christ came and preached peace to those of you who are far away and peace to those of you who are near. And so not just what divides you from God, but what divides you from each other has been abolished, has been demolished, has been laid to waste, that we can know the harmony that he wants to keep creating in the world. So before we go any further with what it means to be community of peace, just like let's say to one another clearly and loudly, however broken and whatever you have done to break it, the harmony is coming back and God is doing what it will take to restore it. 
So the, the burden's not on you at the beginning of this. The work is not yours alone. God has sought to restore that harmony and make things whole. And you and I um, are first meant to just like hear that, receive it, let it soak in. So uh, we asked uh, Dan if he would bring some music to help that soak in with us before we uh, go further. So there's a, an interesting way that Paul ends that little thing that I just read in Colossians. He has a, this like really powerful sweeping language about God has reconciled all things, made peace for all things. And then after all of this celebration of what God has done, he ends it with these three words, if you continue. If you continue. It's almost like he's saying God has left something about this incomplete because he wants you to be a part of finishing it. Not that God didn't have the power to finish it, not that God has somehow run into some limit on himself, but that it's like, it's like God has left some of the work of implementing this, of bringing it to full life in the world. He's left it up to us to work with him because he delights in that. The same way that in Genesis 1, he delighted in saying, man and woman in my image, it's like now he's saying, there's work for us to do together if you continue. And I want to talk about that for just a few minutes before we go today. Um, this is also a big part of what we mean when we say community of grace and peace, that we are the ones who will continue together. Um, some of you have heard some of these stories before, so I apologize if this is redundant, but it's fresh for me right now again, and it's so important to what we're talking about. So I was in Washington, D.C. last week, and the reason I was there was to work with a group that I've been working with for about seven years. And seven years ago, I got this phone call from a friend who said, hey, you want to go to the Middle East on an adventure? I said, sure, let's go. And so then I uh, spent 10 days uh, in Israel and the West Bank in an absolute deep end of the pool immersion in conflict. And it broke me again and again and again, like five times a day. We would sit with an Israeli mother who would tell us the story of her son who was shot by a Palestinian sniper in cold blood for no other reason than that he was an Israeli. Just, they had never known each other, there was no other connection, it's just, that's what they do over there sometimes. And then an hour later, we'd be sitting with a Palestinian father whose 12-year-old daughter was shot and killed while they were driving to the market on a Sunday after church because the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, confused their vehicle for a militant vehicle and they just opened up fire on this car. And he looks in the back seat and his daughter is just riddled with bullets and she's dead. And we'd hear those stories over and over and over and over again. And I got to a point where like seven or eight days in, I'm like, I'm done, man. Like, I'm done. Like, can I go home now? And it raised all sorts of painful questions for me because it was one of the times in my life where I felt like if Jesus doesn't matter in this kind of brokenness, then I, I think I'm done with that too. You know, because like a lot of my life has, has been a lot easier. Like I've lived in places where not all of that's going on, you know. And so I think I hadn't wrestled with whether the Jesus story, whether Jesus' teachings, whether his life and death, whether they mattered in, in places where there's that much broken harmony, right? Where the music has gone that far out of line. Um, and I remember being there, and uh, late in our trip, we met with uh, a Melkite priest. Malachi is like an ancient branch of the, of the Christian church. It kind of predates like Constantine and Rome and all that kind of stuff. And there's still some churches in that part of the world that are Melkite. And we meet with this priest, they call him Abuna Shakur. Abuna is Arabic for father. Like you would say like a priest is father, they call him Abuna Shakur. And we're at his church and there's um, icons around the church because this is like, if you've ever been like a capital O Orthodox church, like Eastern Orthodox or you might have seen icons, religious paintings, and they have those all over the church. And there's a brown-skinned dude there, and I want to know who the saints are, so I, is it Peter or whatever? And I ask Abuna Shakur, and he says, that's Jesus. <laughs> Whoops, you know? Um, and Jesus is holding up a text, and it's written in Arabic. Palestinian Christians speak Arabic. And um, I ask Abuna Shakur what's, what's written on the text that he's holding up and showing us. 
And it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm embarrassed to admit that, to a certain extent, that's the first time it had ever dawned on me that Jesus meant those words not just for the afterlife. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I remember turning uh, in my Bible to Matthew 5, where some of Jesus' core teachings begin. And this is my Bible I've used for years and years and years, and personal devotions and preaching and all kinds of stuff. And I got notes on like every little page, little pencil scribblings. And I turn to Matthew 5 and 6. It's all red letters. It's like all the Jesus stuff. And I didn't have a single little scratch mark of pencil or anything. And that just began a, um, a journey that I'm still on, which is asking Jesus, like, how do you teach us to be peacemakers in the here and now? What does it mean when Paul says, if you continue? I'm like, I want to continue. I want to keep going on that. What does it mean? What does it look like? So this past week in Washington, I was there with the same group that I've been going over to the Middle East with for uh, trips and learning and all that. And this is just sort of a gathering of people who care about um, Israelis and Palestinians and think that all of them matter to God and think that we should um, think critically about the ways that we could help, even from, from all the way over here. And so we're in this really, really fancy building. We're right on the mall. It's the newest federal building. It's called the U.S. Institute for Peace. It's right next door to the Lincoln Memorial. I can, like, see it over the speaker's head out the window the whole time we're talking. And, um, and there's a lot of really big and important ideas being kicked around the room. These are ideas that come from people who are living, like, the real life of peacemakers. Like, a lot of people in the room flew over from Israel and the West Bank to be part of those meetings. Um, these are scholars from places like Notre Dame, actually. John Paul Lederach was there. If you know anything about um, Notre Dame and the Peace Studies program there, he's just a really fantastic voice to learn from. He's like brokered like peace agreements in like 20 countries in 30 years or something like that. Um, and they're all talking and talking and talking. And so my ears are perked up again because I know that we're going to be talking this week about what does it mean to be a community of peace right here in South Bend. Peace with God, peace with one another, peace for the world, right? Peace for our city. What does it mean for us to continue, like Paul says? And there's two words that keep coming up in three days in Washington. And they're coming up from the political types and the religious types and the theologians and the artists. And everybody keeps using these two words again and again. So I want to talk about them just for a minute. Because I think they're really important for us as we ask, what does it mean for us to continue in the peacemaking? To, to live out that reconciliation that God has begun in Christ. The first word is disruption. Disruption. Um, and I think the best way to put this together is like this. Imagine a, a woman who's in a, a relationship with an abusive husband. Maybe, maybe it's just verbal. I say just in scare quotes because I don't really mean just, but let's say it's verbally abusive. And this is a man who belittles and berates and demeans and puts down and just is verbally violent um, toward this woman again and again and again. I think we would all agree that that's not harmony, right? That's something far less than harmony. But you and I are, have all lived long enough to know that there are far too many examples where maybe that woman has been told or come to believe that her job is to keep the peace, right? Don't push back, don't provoke, don't make it worse, keep the peace. And the problem with that is that the word peace doesn't mean anything anymore in that sentence because peace is more than the absence of conflict. It's that robust shalom. It's everything working together for good. It's all the pieces in harmony with one another. That's what that word means. So when we say things like, well, I'm just trying to keep the peace, what we really mean is like, like we're, we've decided we're opting out of peace. We've decided that peace isn't going to happen, and so we're just going to shut up. And so one of the things that happens when we decide that we're going to continue in the peacemaking is sometimes we have to be the ones who are disruptive. That's hard. For example, like when someone you love is living in a pattern that's not harmonious. Uh, they're drinking way too much. Um, they're looking at stuff on their phone that's not good for their heart. Um, they're in a relationship cycle that just is self-destructive. Uh, they're in a job that is like really, really bad for them and it's not even work that's good for the world. Sometimes peacemaking means you have to be the one that goes in it and isn't very peaceful for a moment, right? Sometimes peacemaking means being disruptive. 
Because it's like everybody has just agreed to compromise and accept something less than shalom. And sometimes loving one another well, sometimes breaking into one another's lives with goodness means looking at each other and saying, that's not shalom. That's not harmony. That's not peace, and we need to talk about it. Uh, sometimes this isn't just on an interpersonal, relational level. Sometimes it's, it's a little bigger than that. Like there are places in the city of South Bend, for example, where something less than shalom exists, something less than a harmony. And sometimes what the church is called to do is to call that out and say, hey, world, let's stop pretending this is harmony because it isn't. Let's stop pretending this is shalom because it isn't. This is, um, if I can go here for a minute, and if, if you want to talk to me later about this and tell me I'm wrong, that's okay. This is when um, minority voices in our world right now, I think, are speaking up and saying, in America, it's not shalom for everyone. And sometimes what those minority voices hear back is like, why do you have to be a troublemaker? Why do you have to kind of like be so divisive and raise conflict? And I think what we're hearing from our brothers and sisters is, no, it's not that we're trying to break the shalom. We're saying the shalom is already broken and it won't get healed until we talk about it. And the church, I think, has to be a place, if we're going to take peace seriously, sometimes we have to be a place where we're kind of comfortable with the uncomfort, the discomfort of disruption. Um, like, that needs to become, like, part of our vibe. Like, we learn to press into that together from time to time. With care and wisdom, it doesn't mean being obnoxious. It doesn't mean being um, rude. But, but there are times and places where we're called to be disruptive in the world because what is, what is holding together is not shalom. And when what's holding together is not shalom, sometimes we have to disrupt that. Jesus gets in trouble for that all the time, you guys. Jesus is constantly saying, no, you think that this is shalom, but it's not. Jesus is constantly saying, hey, Israel, the way we are living together, the way things fit together right now, this is not harmonious. There are some people who are getting trampled on in this system, and that needs to change. That needs to be broken up somehow. The prophets, they cry out for this, you guys. The Hebrew prophets, page after page after page, one of the things they're saying is you're too comfortable with the lack of shalom. You've made peace with a lack of peace, and that's not okay. So the prophets, they like... They bring all of their best energies to, to saying to the world, like, you need to be disrupted a little bit because the shalom won't be here until we name where there is not shalom, until we let ourselves be confronted with it. So one of the words for our community is disruption. Now, I'll be the first to say there are like prophetic voices in the world that just need to be slapped and told to shut up. <laughs> okay? Not everybody who's loud and angry is being prophetic. Some people are just being loud and angry, okay? Not everybody who's being disruptive is being disruptive to help the shalom. There's plenty of people who are being disruptive so they can have a cable talk show. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that all voices of disruption are ones moving us towards shalom. But as a church, we're going to have to ask ourselves, when are we being called to disrupt the status quo because the status quo is something less than peace, right? Um, and the prophets bring us to the other word that was all over uh, our meetings last week. The other word is creativity. Peacemaking calls for incredible creativity. In incredible creativity. The prophets, for example, right? The prophets almost never just speak plainly and directly, right? The prophets, in the, in the Hebrew, just open to any page in the Hebrew scriptures where you find one of the prophets speaking, you get wild, poetic, bizarre language and imagery. You get them coming at you from unexpected angles with metaphors and ideas. You get performance art. You get a prophet who like lays on his side next, like you've got animal dung there. He's in the square in Jerusalem doing weird things. This is Banksy, guys. This is, this is creative, unexpected work in the public square that's meant to help people see what's wrong and what could be right in the world. Creativity is super important. Jesus is constantly being creative. There's never been a storyteller like Jesus. He's concocting these bizarre, subversive, unexpected stories to help us discover where the shalom has been broken and also to help us believe the shalom could be here again. Because sometimes the prophet's job is to afflict the comfortable, right? And sometimes the prophet's job is to comfort the afflicted. Sometimes the work of peacemaking is for the church to cry out and say, hey, everybody's pretending this is shalom, but it isn't. And sometimes the church's job is to cry out and say, everybody thinks shalom can never happen, but it can. 
Sometimes the church has to be the voice that says, no, there is another world possible. In fact, it is right in front of us. It's the world that Jesus began creating. It's the world the gospel wants to make in the world. And we believe that we can actually get there. It requires imagination, you know? Um, uh, one New Testament scholar, Scott McKnight, did a paraphrase of all Jesus' parables, and he began each parable with these words. Imagine a world where... Like, imagine a world where though you are like a prodigal son who did everything in your power to break peace with your father, he never gave up on you, and he never stopped looking for you, and he never held a grudge with you, and the day that you turned around, he was there to welcome you. Imagine that world. A few years ago, I was walking with a a friend, a, a member of our church that I came from, and he was walking through hell, you guys. Um... His, uh, his wife was cheating on him, and he kept running into it. And he, he just so desperately wanted that marriage to be healed. But just as like a year went by, it became clear that she had no interest in healing it. And so she became more and more brazen in her affairs. And it became really clear that, that they were coming to the end of that marriage. And I remember so many meals with him where what, what I discovered was there is a despair, which was that, like, there is no peace for me in my future. There is no shalom waiting for me tomorrow. This is breaking, and I will live the rest of my life in the breaking. I will live the rest of my life in the disunity, the disharmony of this. And I realized when I was with him that I was there to pray for him, and every once in a while I'll give him advice, but more than anything, I was there to look him in the eye and imagine with him again and again a, a future life for him, I was there to like help him see what he couldn't see on his own, whether it's on practical levels or heartfelt levels. There's life and flourishing and fullness. It's waiting for you. At the meantime, like, I mean, she's suing him for half his business. She's trying to take everything from him. And I'm looking him in the eye, and I know that part of what we do for one another is we imagine together. And we say there is a shalom that, that we can lay hold of, even in this imperfect world that we live in, even as things are still so broken. And so Jesus is telling stories to help people imagine that world, and he's healing people. By the way, you ever wonder about the people, like, Jesus didn't heal? Like, he seems to kind of have these bizarre moments of healing, right? The only way I can make sense of that is that for Jesus, there's actually something even more than the physical healing of that person. It's like he's trying to awaken a community, because so often in that world, disease and physical disability were associated with stigma. They... They decided who was in and who was out. A diseased person, a disabled person was a sinner in their eyes, was a person who'd been rejected by God in their eyes. Your circumstance told the world whether you were in or out or good or bad. And it's like Jesus is saying, I need to disrupt all of that and create a different picture for you of what's going on, right? So we're called to disrupt and create. We're called to sometimes say the difficult word when everybody else is kind of happy with the status quo whether it's interpersonally, with people you love, or in our city, or in our world. And we're called to be creative. We're called to imagine better things. We're called to create better things right here in our midst. We're called to use our gatherings and our spaces that we inhabit and our life in the city and in the world for creative ways that wake people up and help them see a shalom that's waiting for them that they can't see on their own. We're here to help people imagine that they could experience harmony with God and harmony with one another and even harmony with themselves and harmony with the creation around them. And we're supposed to use our words and our music and our actions and our work in the world to be creative like that. This is what it means for South Bend City Church to to continue. Through him, God has reconciled all things. Through Christ, God has brought to that cross everything that would break the world. And he's proven that it doesn't have the final word. And you and I now are meant to like get filled up with courage and continue in the peacemaking in the world. A disclaimer, and then one more word from Jesus. The disclaimer is this. Uh, in Romans, Paul has this peculiar thing. He says, you are to live at peace with everyone. You're to live at shalom with everyone. But he proceeds it with two other phrases. He says, um, he says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you. And what, like, what I love about the scripture is like again and again in the Bible, you will find a moment where Paul is like on a mountaintop, like preaching like this 
like word from a cloud from heaven that's just full of enlightened words, and then the next minute it gets dragged down into the real world. It's not removed from the fact that like, you may be in a situation where you are doing everything you can to make peace, and the other party has just made it clear they're not going there with you. I'm not saying this, this message means that you're supposed to be a doormat the rest of your life, okay? I'm not saying that you're um, a bad person if you have done everything you can, as much as it depends on you, to make peace, and that other party just won't have it, that's a reality we run into sometimes. Uh, those are moments when we need community around us, a few good friends who are objective, help us try to discern, have we given up too quickly, or is it time to sort of put a healthy boundary there and just recognize you've done what you can as much as possible if it depends on you, like you've done as much as you can. Um, I want to make sure you hear that, because... Like, I bet half of us in this room, what we need to hear more than ever right now is try harder to make peace. And half of us in this room, what we need to hear right now is you actually need to, like, give yourself a break, okay? Because that other party or person, um, they've made it very clear they're not playing along. And you've done what you ought to do. So there's that disclaimer. And then there's this from Jesus and Matthew. And these words have been working on me for a very long time. Um, this is the beginning of Jesus' teachings in Matthew. He has all these blessings. And toward the end of these blessings, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And when I first started reading that, I thought, that's like pretty cool, right? <laughs> Son of God, daughter of God, that's a good title. But the more that I get to know peacemakers, you know what I'm learning? I think Jesus says that because he knows nobody else will claim you. I'm serious about that. You become a peacemaker, you, you step out of your tribe, if, if you reject the us versus them, the right versus left, the insiders versus the outsiders, the above and the below, if you reject that whole battle, that conflict, often what happens is nobody wants you, <laughs> which is why a church matters so much, because even if nobody else wants you, we do, okay? And if you decide that you will be a peacemaker, not invested in the conflict anymore, Jesus is saying, like, God will claim you. And the people I know who have gone very far down this very difficult road of peacemaking will tell you that's worth more than any tribe claiming you. It may not be easier, but it's better. And then the very next thing Jesus says is this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I, don't, I didn't add this next part. I should have. He goes on there. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Re rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's almost like Jesus is saying, if, if you walk with me, some of what happened to me might happen to you. And you know why that's good news? Because whenever the world breaks... We want to be powerful, right? Whether it breaks in your family, in your love life, when there's a breaking, a disharmony, a disunity, when, whenever the harmony breaks in the world, we want to be so powerful, right? We want to fix it. It could be 9-11, it could be the Paris shootings, it could be racial division, it could be your parents' divorce. Whenever the world breaks, we want to feel so powerful, right? Against the power that broke it. But what we discover again and again is we are in fact weak in a sense. Um, and what I think Jesus is doing is he's saying, if you want, you can follow me and I will actually transform you. And you will lay down the illusion of power and I will actually make you powerful. And little by little, I will turn you into a peacemaker and you will become such a threat to the powers that are breaking the world that they will have to set their sights on you. Now that's not easy but we only have a few years on earth, and I think most of us know we want to, it to matter, right? We, we want to know that these few hours, days, weeks, months, years that we have, what limited energy we have, what limited sphere we have, we want it to matter in the world. And I think Jesus is saying, walk with me long enough, learn enough from me, surrender enough to me. I will actually make you the kind of person who is so powerful against the powers that are breaking the world that they will come after you and then you will know that you are on the right track, putting the world back together. And when Paul says, if you continue, you'll be like, amen, that's what we've been doing, right? So we want to be a church of peace, a community of peace. We want to extend it um, deeply to one another, people we disagree with, people who see the world differently from us. We don't want to be those loud Christians who just yell at the world and tell them what's wrong with them. But we, we deeply want to continue in the peace of God that he has already brought into the world through Jesus. Sometimes it means we will be disruptive. It will always mean we have to be creative. 
But what I really believe is it means we will become such a threat against what is broken in the world, they might even have to come against us. To which I say, bring it on. Amen? Amen. Let's, uh, let's end the way we've been um, ending our gatherings here. A couple of uh, practical notes. Um, apparently, they opened the gates on Michigan in the parking garage, but not down below on what is now Martin Luther King, I think. So you want to go to the surface lot that takes you toward, like, McCormick's, Michigan Street. Yeah, which is that way, basically. Good? West. Thank you. Yeah, go west if you don't want to pay. Um, I feel like there was something else, but I can't think of what it is now. Does anybody on my team know if I'm forgetting anything? Oh, thank you. Yeah. If you haven't had a chance yet, we really want to get a read on um, what service you think you'll be at. We're not going to hold you to it, okay? But as we go to two services, Sunday morning and Tuesday night, uh, I know that Lynn talked about this at the beginning, but maybe you walked in late, um, or maybe you still have your card. If you just take a minute and just tell us, what are you thinking? We're not going to, you know, keep you from the other service <laughs> based on what you sign up for, um, but we're just trying to get ready and see where we're at. So uh, I, let's say this. You can just leave it on your chair. That's easy enough if uh, you didn't have a chance to put that in the offering basket. Okay, good. Uh, will you stand if you're able? And uh, let me just offer us this benediction. Um, Like Ryan said last week, may you be overwhelmed by the surprising goodness of God. May that goodness not just be a point in a sermon, a doctrinal point in the Bible. May it be your experience. May you feel it in your body. May your heart know it deeply that God has surprising goodness for you. And from that, that goodness that fills you up, may we move into the world looking to put it back together. May we, South Bend City Church, be a community of grace and peace. And when it means we must disrupt, may we disrupt with humility and courage. And when it means we must be creative, may we be radically creative to awaken the imagination of a world that doesn't even believe peace can really happen anymore. May we be a community of grace and peace for our city and the world. Grace and peace be with you, friends. Amen. Amen.